episode 58. And even, even now, I'm just tearing up because it was so emotional for me to have somebody who's a complete stranger see something in me that I hadn't recognized and take the time to help me manifest that. I'm Elizabeth Johnston, and I'm here to help you unlock your creative potential so that you think, feel, and do better in life and at work. Welcome to the Own Your Creativity podcast. This is the place where it all starts, where you begin taking your place in the world, where you say, enough is enough. It's time for me because you know that the more you reclaim and express your creativity, the more you can live the life you were meant to. That's my mission, to provide you with a place to get inspired to own your creativity. The more you listen to the show, the more you'll see how possible it is to own your creativity. And then when you do that and you stand up for your creativity, you join me in leading by example to make a difference in the world. If you believe in the power of creativity, I invite you to show that support in a tangible way today by becoming a patron of the Own Your Creativity podcast. To find out more about how you can join the creativity movement, go to bit.ly forward slash creativity patron. That's bit.ly forward slash creativity patron. There you will find a whole host of affordable options plus lots of rewards. Helping to spread the word about how important creativity is so that we think, feel, and do better in life and at work starts just at $1. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. For today, I've got something a little bit different lined up for you. If you're on my mailing list or in my Facebook group, Own Your Creativity Cafe, then you'll know that I've been on this podcast journey for more than a year with my accountability partner, Lori Mackey. She interviewed me on her show, Lori's Lemonade Stand, in June of 2016, and I recently interviewed her on my show. Then, Lori had this idea to share our interviews on each other's podcast, and I thought that was a great idea. So, Lori aired my interview of her on her show on May 1st, 2017. Today, I air Lori's interview of me. It's a great way for you to get to know me a bit more, plus a great introduction to Lori's wonderful show, too. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'd love to hear any questions or comments you might have. You can get in touch with me at info at ownyourcreativity.com. You are just going to love my guest today. Have you ever thought about writing a book or writing poetry or just learning how to get your ideas down on paper in a beautiful way? Well, Elizabeth Johnston is here to help you do that. When Lori's Lemonade Stand was just an idea, just a little thought that I might want to do, I happened upon John Lee Dumas at a Rock the Stage event in California, and I learned about Podcasters Paradise. After much thought and consideration, I decided that this group would lend the best support, knowledge, skills, everything you need to run the podcast of my dreams. <laughs> part of the benefits of being a member of Podcasters Paradise is the option to be part of an accountability group with other members we're in about the same spot as you or as far as creating and the growth of your podcast. So I threw my name into the hat and was blessed to have Elizabeth Johnston as part of that group. And that is how our friendship began. Since then, I have listened to her podcasts on Own Your Creativity and have taken part in her writing challenges that have been fun and thought-provoking. She is witty, 
knowledgeable, full of fun and laughter. And the only thing I'm asking myself is why didn't I have her on my show earlier? I can't wait to share with you her background and her profession, but also to get you involved in her next free writing challenge and show you how um, she can become your personal coach in owning your creativity. So please welcome Elizabeth Johnston from Own Your Creativity to the Lemonade Stand. Yay, I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. I I am so glad that I get to share you with the world. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really cool. So one of the things I had mentioned in your uh, your bio, one of the things you mentioned is that at 16 years old, you joined the militia, which I had no idea actually, in, and I've known you for like six months now, and I had no idea that you had done that and you had stayed in for quite some time. So what made you decide at such a young age to go into the military and, and how did that, how did you change from that to hey, I want to learn how to be a creative writer. <laughs> so, so tell me about this journey real quick. Well, that's often the reaction that people have today when I tell them that I was in the militia and the military um, because, you know, I'm an artsy kind of a person and they just, you know, that doesn't compute for them. It didn't um, compute for me either. <laughs> I was like, I, don't, I can't even picture you in the military. So, yeah, so... Definitely. I should have Explain. I should have sent you a picture of me in my uniform. Oh, you should <laughs> send me that. I'll I'll post that on there. <laughs> so I um I I joined the militia when I was uh, sixteen, and I got the idea when I was fifteen because a neighborhood boy uh, he had joined the 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 militia. And, um, and I just thought when he was talking about it, that sounded fascinating. And I don't know why, but I somehow I thought it was fascinating. But actually, in retrospect, I know why. It's because um, I, I saw it as a way of becoming independent. Oh. And, uh, and also, uh, in retrospect, to get some of that um, masculine um, influence in my life because I was brought up by a single mom. And, um, and, uh, she remarried when I was 10 and had two kids, but, um, he stayed around for just like four years. So he wasn't really a big influence. And so, um, there wasn't, you know, a strong male presence in, in my life. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I was looking for, um, unconsciously or subconsciously. (laughs) <laughs> well, that makes sense. That that it, totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and so and it was just fun to belong to a group because um, because I think belonging was really important for me too, and I never really felt like I belonged. Um, I always felt like I was an outsider. I was bullied, and you know, when I was in school, um, and um, and I we didn't have a, a big family. There was my mother and my grandparents, and then then the two siblings that came along. So you know, there was no extended family. And, um, and so I just kind of felt like I was, you know, uh, rootless, you know, I didn't feel like, you know, and, uh, so I think the military, um, attracted me on that score as well, but it turned out a blessing in, in disguise that I joined it in, uh, when I was 16, because a few months after I did, um, I ended up leaving home. Okay. And, and so then, um, you know, yeah, so I didn't even finish high school. 
and uh, I left home and I thought, well, what am I going to do now? You know, be a waitress or a prostitute or, you know, <laughs> like what are your options, right? right, right. So, I don't know. So, um, so luckily I was um, already in the militia and we would meet um, uh, twice uh, a week in the evening and then one weekend a month. But then I asked about a full-time uh, job in the militia. So I never joined the regular army, but I did work full-time for seven years on Class B call-out, it's called. And, um, and so thank goodness, you know, that, you know, it was like the military came to my rescue because I, you know, was able to, to support myself. And yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So how did you get from, like, when did you decide during that seven year stint, uh, that you wanted to do something else? How did, how did that turn the corner from, I mean, cause I can understand, you know, going from the childhood to militia and what that meant for you. And, and in hindsight saying, Oh, I needed this, um, masculine, you know, figure, something in my life, something to have hold on to. How did that change into, uh, wanting to, I don't know, work on your own creativity for lack of right. a better term. Yeah. Well, so there I was at, um, in my early twenties thinking that since I've been in the militia full time for such a long time, I probably should be sensible and, uh, join the regular force because it's a lot more money and they, um, provide you with a good pension and they, you know, pay for all, all of your incidentals and la la la. And so, I thought that should be, you know, my next step. And then I thought, well, should I go in as um, an other rank, which I was a corporal, or should I go in as an officer? And I was thinking about this because I thought, well, who do I really enjoy talking to the most in, uh, in my day job? And it was always the officers. And I thought, what's the difference between the officers and the other ranks? And then I realized it's that they've gone to university. So I came to the conclusion that, no, I should not join the regular army. I should go to university. Okay, good, good. <laughs> and, okay. and, you know, the, the regular force, they would pay for my university, but I'd had to choose something that was useful for them, like dentistry or, you know, signals or, you know, communication, something like that. Uh -huh. and, and then I realized, no, I don't want to do any of those things. I want to explore other things than that, you know, and I didn't know exactly what that was until I got to university. And uh, I quickly fell into, I chose all the courses that were about literature and writing and, and, uh, and that kind of, you know, set me, set me up for what I'm doing today. But it wasn't until I, I met one of the professors there who uh, suggested that I apply for the creative writing program and and he's and I and he said did you know about that I said no and and he says yeah well you know you go there to learn about how to write and I didn't even know that I mean I was <laughs> I didn't even know there was such a program because I was a voracious reader but it never really occurred to me that there was somebody on the other side of the page who had written all that stuff right right Didn't I just make the was connection yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, there's people. It says it's by by the name of the person, right? <laughs> I knew that somebody wrote it, but it just, you know, the mechanics of actually sitting down to write didn't, yeah. And so anyway, so, and uh, and then he asked me, you know, do you journal? Do you have, you know, have you written anything? And I said, I don't know. I said, what's a journal? I didn't even know what a journal was. Oh, wow. I just wrote. I and can't believe that you're saying this to me when I know how far you've come. So, <laughs> so my goodness. Okay, keep going. So I, so he said, well, you know, bring, bring whatever you've written in and, and let's go through it. So he helped me put a portfolio together and, um, and what's a portfolio? I, you know, I knew nothing. <laughs> 
What's a journal? What's a portfolio? I have no idea. Oh my gosh. Okay. And so he helped me put it all together and and he wasn't on the on the uh, committee. Uh, he just helped me put it together and then um they they only accept at that time, they only accepted 16 people per year into the program. And I was one of the people that was accepted. <gasps> yeah. Wow. So I was... For I somebody was... who didn't know any of those things, <laughs> that's amazing. That's a miracle right there. <laughs> and it was so funny because I I was, I was kind of going through the motions of putting my portfolio together and submitting it because... I was always very obedient and I guess, you know, being in the military, whatever, it's like, yes, sir, yes, sir. And, <laughs> and so, you know, my professor said I should do this, so I, I'm doing it. Um, and, but it wasn't until about three or four months later when I got the, uh, the acceptance letter that I realized how much I actually did want it. I actually broke down in tears when I got that letter. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And even, even now I'm just yeah. tearing up because, it was so emotional for me to um, have somebody who's a complete stranger, yes. you know, see something in me that I hadn't recognized and take the time yeah. to help me, you know, manifest that. So he's like my big hero. <laughs> it's awesome. He put you on the path to your entire future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you didn't even know it then and you cried. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. So, so once you took that class, um, and and then you, did you just you finished university with degrees? I mean, how yes. does that? Well, I um, well that's kind of an interesting story too because uh, because um, I hadn't finished high school. Um, well, actually, I while I was in the military, I took some time off to to finish my high school, okay. but I only finished it to grade twelve. And at that time in Ontario, we had grade thirteen, and I was in the stream for grade thirteen, and that meant that you would go to university. Mm-hmm. But if you only finished grade twelve, then then you didn't go to university. You okay. did something else. Okay. And uh, so, um, but anyway, I only finished grade twelve, and so I did have my high school. And I went to declare my major in humanities. That's what I wanted to major in. And they said, no, you can't do that because you only have grade 12 and you have to have grade 13 for that program. And I said, but that's what I want to do. I, I, I want to major in that. What do I have to do? Do I have to finish grade 13 at night? Or, you know, what are, the, what are my options here? Right. And they, they looked at my transcripts for the first year of, of university and it was all A's. And so they said... Okay, if you maintain this for another year, then we will allow you to major in humanities. Wow. Without having to finish grade 13. Right. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I was I had gone back to school as a mature student, so they I guess make some uh accommodations for that, but anyway, so uh yeah, so I so I uh finished with a um a double major in humanities and creative writing. Wow. For my BA. And then um, and then I took a year off and I um, came back to do a degree in film and video. So I have my master's in film and video. Holy cow. Well, and so then what did you, as far as a job, what were you doing for a job after you got your degree and then, and then somehow in there you became a professor yourself? So how'd that happen? Yeah. <laughs> So after I did my my BA and I had that year off, um, 
it was because I was accepted to the School of Humanities in California, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I went down there for the summer and to check things out. But because it's a private university, there's no funding available for it that I could get in Canada. So I, I thought to myself, how am I going to do this? I'm not going to be able to do it because yeah. I didn't have a working visa. So I thought, okay, I have to go back to Canada. And so that's what I did. And so I thought, well, I want to do something else. I want to you know, do a master's. So I applied and, and I got in uh, to do my master's in film and video at York University. Both of my degrees are from York University in Toronto. And then what, when you are accepted to do a master's, they give you a teaching um, position. So I was a tutorial leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the professor will give the lecture. And then it's in these big, huge lecture halls. And there's, I don't know, 300 students. And there's a bunch of TAs who um, each have about 20 or 30 students. And so they have a separate class with you and you help them understand what the professor said and you mark their papers. And so that that began my experience of teaching at the university level. And I, I really liked it. I found that I was really good at breaking down complex ideas for the students. And I really enjoyed that process of helping them understand and improve their writing as well. And um, yeah, so that's how I got into teaching. That's impressive. I mean, it just, everything that you're telling me so far, I mean, from the point of joining the militia to going to university to all of these things, it was all laying the groundwork for what you're doing now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in hindsight, of course, rather than, you know, that wasn't your life plan (laughs) at the time. Yeah. It wasn't your life plan. But looking back, like every little bit of that has brought you to where you are now. And, and that in and of itself is impressive. That's, that's crazy. (laughs) Um, okay. So how, well, I kind of want to skip around a little bit. So this is one of the things I thought of that I've at least over years and years of my life, I say, I'm not the creative one, or I'm just not creative. And what I've learned over the last couple of years is that I just don't like to craft. I don't, I'm not a crafty person. I don't like to scrapbook. I hate to sew. I even took a sewing class because my mom is really awesome at sewing. And I took a sewing class and it just made me hate sewing even more. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. It was awful. So I've just, I've just dubbed myself this person that I, I'm just not the creative one. And so I, but I do love coming up with ideas for poems and I love, uh, new marketing ideas or learning organizational skills. And I have found that actually I am creative. I, I'm just creative in my own way. And one of the classes that you offer is called Creativity and Wellbeing, mm-hmm. where you help people find basically their creative side. So how, how do you help people connect with their creative side as a part of their overall well-being? Well... <clears throat> Over the years, I've realized that for me, being creative is second nature. And, you know, that that prof who singled me out and helped me get into the creative writing program, he pointed out something to me that was just innate. And but then over the years, I realized that a lot of the people that I teach, they all want to be creative, but they don't know how to or they don't know that they that that's what they want. Yeah. You know, and and so a lot of times in my classes, I realize that um, if you just present them with an idea or 
a possibility that they can run with it, you know? Um, but initially it's like, it's too big of a thing for them initially. It's like, Oh, being creative. And they, and they have these ideas of people who have completed works, you know, because when we think of creativity, we think of people who have accomplished great things. And then we think, Oh, we can't do that. But those people who accomplish great things, they started someplace, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and so, um, so, yeah, so over the years, and then I started that creativity and well-being seminar because I started getting burnt out at at work. And so even though I'm teaching creative things, um, I'm, I'm teaching things and helping other people express their creativity at the expense of my own, I realized. Got it. Because okay. it's really, it's really addictive almost to help other people. <laughs> Yes, yeah. I agree. And it's, yes. And it and it's easier in a way to help other people because I have the method and I can show you the method and yeah. you know. So right. so um so I realized um that that coupled with the fact that there's bureaucracy even, you know, in a university and whatnot and there's yeah. office politics and all that kind of stuff and I realized that it was just kind of grinding me down and I thought well, I guess I have to get out of teaching. I have to, you know, do something different. But then I thought, no, I just need to get back to my own creativity I, in order to feel better about my job. And it, that's what worked for me was getting creative again and really for you, not helping for me, others, but for right, you, right, right, right. And so then I thought, oh, this, this is, this is the magic. You know, as long as you're taking care of yourself, your creative needs, your your downtime needs, because I think part of creativity is just doing nothing in a sort of, you know, restorative way. And uh, so I realized that this could actually help people. And I, I started talking to so many other university profs that felt the same way that, that I did. And I thought, you know, I, I should put something together to help people who feel burnt out or who feel that they haven't accessed their creativity in a while. And then I was doing all this reading and I just realized that that this isn't new. Other people before me have you know already realized this that creativity and well-being go together. And so I put together this seminar and I've been teaching that for about the last year. So there and that's how own your creativity started. How did that start? That so that you went because you started feeling burnt out? I mean, how did that because Own Your Creativity rocks, and I've read amazing testimonials on your site and have been a part of some of your free writing challenges. And, um, and so how, how did you go from, um, well, you're, you're teaching at the university and deciding that you kind of want to branch out on your own. So how is that how that started or how did that no. start? No. Okay. No. All right. Give me the dirt. Give me the dirt. Yeah. So I started on your creativity, I suppose about mm, maybe 12 or 14 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Good. Because I wanted to do other things other than what I was teaching at university or at college because we have, we have high school and college and then university here. Okay. So, um, so I was teaching there, but I really wanted to do other things and um, reach out to other people who who weren't interested in going to university or interested in 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 college. Maybe they were already working full time and and they wanted to do something like that. And because I was teaching 
at the continuing education department, uh, these 10 week evening courses on screenwriting or writing a novella or, you know, other things like that. And then I would meet people and they say, oh, I'd love to re- write a screenplay, but I don't have time in the evening or 10 weeks. That's just too long. And so I thought, well, I wonder if I can do it in a day, you know, like a one day seminar. Let's see if I can do everything I do in <laughs> 10 weeks and put it into a one day Curiosity. seminar. Curiosity yeah. will work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I put it together and that, that was about 12 years ago that I did that, I think. And, um, and I've been teaching it ever since and I do it a few times a year. And um, and it, it's one of my most favorite things to teach is that one day screenwriting seminar. Why? Uh, Why is um, it your favorite? Because I I never get bored of it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I mean, I don't because I okay. So I've never thought about writing a screenplay. I probably it will never be on my bucket list. So, but it probably is for some people. So, what? Tell me more about the that class. Well. There's a lot of people who would like to write a screenplay. You know, they have their favorite films and they think, oh, you know, I've got a great idea for for a film. And so then they find me and they come to the seminar and their eyes are open to what is actually involved. Mm -hmm. But they get so fired up with all the different techniques and the ideas and and also I get them writing during the one day seminar. So they, they leave with not only all the skills and, and tools, but they're already starting their story, you know, so they get really excited and I get excited for them. It's just, it's a really fun, fun day. Nice. Okay. That, that's perfect. Absolutely. So you also, um, one of the things I had read about is that you had created this video poem called Keepsake. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was shortlisted in two film festival competitions. So number one, I don't even know what a video poem is, so you need to tell me that. <laughs> and, then, um, and then two, do you teach people how to do video poems as well? Yes, I do. Okay. And <laughs> so what's a video poem? I don't I don't even yeah. know. I was like, what's and it's nominated for these things? I don't know. So <laughs> talk to me about that. Basically it's a short film, a really, really short film. Uh but it's what's based a short on a film, like fifteen minutes? Oh, I don't know. Two minutes. It's two, two minutes. minutes. Okay, yeah. okay. Short My, film's mine's two minutes, two minutes but okay. and, and that's they usually run anywhere between I guess about two until I don't know, maybe eight minutes. Okay. And um, and so there are two types of video poems. One is where you um, have the poet reading their work, okay. and then there are visuals that go with it mm-hmm. in some way. And the other one is where the poet isn't around or is dead, and uh, somebody else is reading their work, and then there's visuals to go with it. Okay. Um, and I came across this, I don't know, about, I guess, five or six years ago. And I thought, this is amazing because it brings together both of my degrees, you know, my creative writing degree and my film oh, and video yeah. degree. Good point. Yes. Okay. And so I, um, I had a poem about uh, my, uh, my grandmother that uh, I thought might be good to, to, uh, to use. And so that's what I did. And I, that was actually one of the things that I did to get back to my own creative source to combat the potential burnout. And I applied for a grant uh, from from the university, from the Professional Development Fund, and and I got that, and I was able to to make this video, and uh, so that that was like one of the good reasons of not to <laughs> quit my teaching job yeah. is that I get, can apply to those funds, and and so I I did that uh, video poem, but um, yeah, so 
so I do teach that as well. And I, I taught a, a seminar in the fall uh, on how to write a video poem. And one of my students has already made one and, and put it out there and into the universe. So oh, nice. <laughs> I've thought about it. There is this really, can you use anybody's poem? Like if, if I were to, I mean, is there copyright issues or? Yeah. Well, um, anything that I think is about anything that's 50 years or or older that's been in the public do- then it's in the public domain i'm not exactly sure but okay, okay, i think yeah. or i think it's 50 years after the poet has died or something then then it's fair game to use anything but you have to check that in, in into yeah. that oh, okay got it but but you can but if there's a, a living poet that that you wanted to do you know some of their um do you know video poem about the work you could just ask them you know and maybe they would let you do that oh nice okay because there's one that's really cool i'll have to share it with you later but yeah. I'm like yeah. that would be good yeah. for a, a video poem okay i'll have to when we're done with this call i'm going to share it with you okay <laughs> it'll be good so one of the things that um and I, t- I say this on all of my podcasts. It's really cool because it's it's me being selfish. I get to ask whatever I want, right? And so right. I one of the things that I ha- that has always interested me is writing my life story. However, when I think about writing my life story, and then I start thinking about because I I'm way OCD, and I think in all of these little boxes, and everything's compartmentalized. And I start thinking about writing my life story and I am completely overwhelmed. I'm like, forget it. There, it would take me the rest of my life to write the last part of my <laughs> life story. And there's, and I'm like, I don't have that much time on my hands. And so I, I know that you have a class about writing your life story and, and it says it's like in three easy steps, which I don't believe, but, but talk <laughs> me into it because I, I should, and I, and I need to do it and it would be a good thing to do, but I, I need some motivation. And, and I always teach that motivation is step two. Action is step one. And so this is me asking you, this is my action step on writing a life story. What would I, what would I need to do without giving your whole class away here on this podcast? But, <laughs> but tell me, tell me that it's possible and, and tell me why. Okay. Well, one of the things that I do is these things uh, um, during culture days are, um, and it's um, a national thing and each province has their own thing. But basically it's where artists and cultural organizations can open up their doors and people can, you know, uh, take things for free and, and sample things. And so I'm, I always do uh, free uh, workshops during during that time in September, early October. And one of the things I do is writing your memoir. And, and in an hour, I take them through the process of creating their outline for it. Oh. And then, and it's just one page. It's just one page. Um, and, and then they, they have the structure there. And then all they have to do is take action every day, you know, and write a little bit more about that outline. You know, as long as you have that outline and you've decided, okay, I'm going to write a memoir about, um, how I became a mountain mountain biker and how it changed my life. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. And and so that that's a memoir. It's not an autobiography. An autobiography is you know, is from you know day one to today. Right. right. Okay. But a memoir is just a slice of your life, and it showcases or explores something major that you've either accomplished or overcome. So is it one thing, or or would you just say? So your memoir is one slice of your life. It's not multiple slices. No, no, it's just one slice of your life. Yeah, yeah. So without a because because that's how I think about it. I think about it day the day I was born, Mm 
Yes. And this is, and this is what happened. And when I was five, I got stung by a bee and they stuck mud on my, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm yep. thinking about all of these little things that happened to my yep. life and I think, no way on God's green earth am, am I going to get that done. And yeah. so, so a memoir is a slice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a slice. And, and so it, and it could be how I survived my divorce. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, so it's just a segment and of course all of you comes into it in some way, right. but it, the focus, the focus is, um, is, is that one thing or, you know, how I overcame, you know, a debilitating disease in order to, to, um, go into a triathlon or, you know, or something like something, that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So how I overcame something or, or an experience that I went through, you know, um, walking across the desert. Right. You know, yeah. Right. My, my experience and, you know, how that transformed me. So whatever so, your desert is, it could yeah. be a physical desert or it could yeah. be this emotional or spiritual desert or whatever that is. Yeah, that, that exactly. To walk through. Yeah. And so, and so in these, in these, you know, free little mini workshops, I, I just say like, what are you really good at? You know, what, what are you really proud about? What's um, the greatest accomplishment that you've experienced so far? And then that's your end result. That's the end of your memoir. And how did you get there? That's wow. the beginning. I'm so going to hire you for that. <laughs> I'm serious. Cause I, I've just wanted to do that for so long. Like I have lots of extra time, but I, <laughs> that's something that I wanted to do. And I, I like that it's, uh, in bite-sized pieces, you know, it's like learning how to run. You know, you first learn how to crawl and then you learn how to walk and then you have walk faster and, and then you learn how to run and, or in my case, go one step further and ride a bike, but yeah, <laughs> go one, add a machine in there. Um, but you know, that there's, that it's these little, these baby steps and see that I could do mm -hmm. that I could do. So see, that's an could. action step that yeah. create motivation and then we create the momentum, and, right? Everyone. That's what I yes. think. Action, yeah. motivation, yeah. momentum. I saw that on your website, that the little clip of your speaking, and I, I love that three-step process. <laughs> well, because everybody's like, oh, I just can't find the motivation. But really, it's because motivation is step two. You're never going to find motivation until you take step one, yeah. and, and step one is action. And, and so for me, with my life story, you've given me my action step. What does that mean? That means that now I'm responsible to, to go ahead and do this next step and I'm going to have to be motivated. So, uh, okay. And anyone else who wants to do it, you can go and hire Elizabeth to do that. So, um, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, because you've been, you've had own your creativity for a long time, uh, 12 to 14 years, and, and it's been moving and progressing and, and becoming this thing when did you decide to add a podcast in the mix of all of, of everything else and, and why? Why the podcast and why um, did you feel that that would add this other dimension to your business? Well, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. good. I, I, um, I, I decided a few years ago that I wanted to put my courses online and so I went to Product Launch Formula, Jeff Walker's program, mm -hmm. and learned awesome. learned about that. Yep. Yeah, and um, and so then I was meeting people online that you know, and and through that that conference, and and uh, and I really like the the online world. I like the the connections that I'm making, right. and and then I got introduced to podcasting, and I thought that's a really cool way of 
connecting with people out in cyberspace because I know that I should be writing a blog and I should be doing it on a regular basis because I do have an online ba- uh, business, but I find it difficult to keep up with a blog. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I, need, I don't even know what to write about. Like, what do I write about this week? <laughs> so, which is kind of funny, you know, since yeah. I'm a writer. Um, <laughs> But I do other kinds of writing, and so so blog writing ne- isn't necessarily my first love. Okay. But then I thought to myself that it'd be really interesting to have conversations with with other people who have owned their creativity and yes. and how how they've how they've done that, and um, and I think that now that I'm doing that, it's it's like oh yeah, I could write about this and I could write about that. So I'm. So in a way, it was partly to take my business in a different direction, but also to reach more people because I think that people listen to podcasts more so than necessarily than they read, you know, yeah. when they're, and so I wanted to reach more people and help more people. Um, and a, like a few years ago, I, it was January 1st and I wrote a, a, a message to my mailing list and I said, I said that I'd, you know, I hope that this year is your year to be really creative and that you get back to to the you that you really were, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and I think that that wish for them, for me, I wanted to help as many people as I could, you know. So I thought, yeah, through my, my workshops, I can help some people, but, but there are other people who aren't in Montreal or aren't, you know, on my mailing list or whatever. And I thought this would be a great way of, of helping more people. And, yeah. and it's not just me who's helping them. It's all my guests, too. Oh, I love, um, oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Is it Jeff Bogus? Joe Bogus. Joe yeah. Bogus. Okay, thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. Joe Bogus. Uh, when I listened to that one on your podcast, I was so pumped. I yeah. was just so completely pumped up, and he was amazing. And he is. Um, yeah, he was. That was good. So I've, I have definitely benefited from your podcast, and and I, and again, I think that podcasts. When you and I have talked about this, is that. Uh, when you were saying something about reading versus listening, yeah. you know, we, we spend a lot of time in our cars. Yeah. We we're on a treadmill. You're, you know, all these things where you can't necessarily be holding a book or whatever. My husband listens to podcasts while he works because he has to work with his hands. Mm. And so he's like installing and doing all these different things and doing these production type activities. And so he's got a bud in his ear, you know, all the time. <laughs> and he has podcasts. He's learned so much about history. It's ridiculous. I, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that would just be so boring to me. But some people can just do it and listen and listen. And I don't know how much is getting in, but but there's more <laughs> of a chance of it getting in if you've got the butt in your ear. Right. So yeah, so it's really good. But I, I feel like people are are super busy or they're sitting um, you know, at events or they're there's just there's these downtimes where you can't necessarily haul along your book or whatever and you've got your handy dandy phone and you just throw that butt in your ear and you can listen to podcasts and I, I do think that you reach a lot more people. You're able to share, you know, your knowledge and worth and value with a lot more people. And so yeah, I agree. So I think that your podcast was a great idea. So um okay. one of the things I uh wanted to touch on there was I'm going to read a few of these testimonials from your website because they were really awesome. But um, a couple of testimonials I read about in regards to your free writing challenge were these these couple. Elizabeth Elizabeth's prompts stimulated my imagination. And I thought, yes, that was right. 
And then the other one was, I am thankful to Elizabeth the gift for the gift of motivation. And mm-hmm. I thought, yes, because when I did your free writing challenge, um, I did the Celtic one. Mm-hmm. And that one was, um, I think that's one of the big things is the prompts. So you would just give this little prompt and, and this little video and I would watch it. And then my mind would just start spiraling in a direction and I could just write. And um, it was in the safety of a Facebook page, you know, where Mm -hmm. we could write our responses to this writing challenge. And I loved it. People's responses were all over the map and none of them were like mine. And it makes me feel uh, even more so how individual we are as people and how unique we are. And there is no one else like me. And there's no one else like you. And there's no one else like the other person who's writing their thoughts down. And I thought, but they're all valuable and they're all of worth. And I loved watching everyone else do it. And so this has been such an awesome podcast. I I just, well, because I love your presence and I, I love to just chat with you on everything. And I've learned a lot about you that I didn't know before, first of all, especially yeah. this militia thing and how you came to be you right now. But this is my favorite part of the podcast at the end that I make everybody do and it's lemonade moments. So are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. If you're over 40... What's the biggest thing you've accomplished since that time? Okay, so I am over 40. And <laughs> okay. <since> I- <laughs> Thank you for admitting that. Good job. Hi, my name is Elizabeth and I'm over 40. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, but you know, when I read when I read that question, I thought, am I really over 40? It's just so hard, you know, like like wow. And that that far away from 42 is like, oh my goodness. Anyway. Um <laughs> Okay. Good job. Well <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I think that really, I guess my 40s were all about um, taking my place. You know, um, I have, um, I play the Bowron, which is the Irish frame drum. Mm-hmm. And uh, and my, my teacher is always saying, you know, take your place, take your place in playing the Bowron, you know, like, right. you know, ring out, like, you know, and, and make sure that you're heard in the band. Okay. And uh, so I think that I think my 40s were really about taking my place in my own creativity and getting out there because, you know, earlier I said that I'd left home when I was 16. Well, that was because, you know, home life wasn't so great. And 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 I think that my, um, you know, since I left home until until, you know, late 30s was was uh, I was hiding a lot of my light under bushels. Okay. And, uh, and so I think the forties were really like just, you know, throwing that, you know, bushel, uh, away <laughs> and just, and getting out there and organizing events and doing things that I wanted to see out there that wasn't there, you know? And so I, for me, I think that's the, the biggest accomplishment is that in a way I kind of came back to that extroverted little girl I was, uh-huh. you know, um, cause, cause you know, I, you know, I, cause I struggled with this, like, am I an introvert or an extrovert? I don't know sometimes, <laughs> but I think, I think I used to be when I was really young, I think I was an extrovert, but then, you know, family life or whatever, uh, extinguished that. And I became quite introverted, um, until I think until my forties. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that for me, especially like in my forties is, is that same feeling. Everything that you're describing is that same feeling where all of a sudden you start figuring out 
who you want to be when you grow up for real, yeah. yeah, for real this time. And, and then you start figuring that out and it's this awesome journey. Yeah. It's this incredible journey of, of, you know, what you have to leave behind and where you want to go. And, and so, yeah, it, that's an awesome thing. All right. Next one. One activity you do every day without fail and you can't save brushing your teeth. <laughs> Those I, things don't I was going to say that. Okay, good. Okay. All no. right. Um, I write in a notebook about um, what I'm going to do that day to advance my goals. Nice. Okay. Yeah, by hand every day. And so you do that in the morning? Yeah, in the morning. That's awesome. Okay. Everyone needs to do that. Yeah. Everyone needs to do that. It, it makes it so much better. It's so great. Um, okay. And this I'm really curious about. Favorite guilty pleasure food? Potato chips. Oh, <laughs> see, another kindred spirit, man. I, I'm telling you the top three right now are like potato chips, French fries, and chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Like, and sometimes I mean, they're all mixed together. Maybe not the French fries <laughs> and the chocolate, but, but the salty, you know, like yeah. pretzels covered mm-hmm. in chocolate or mm-hmm. yeah. 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 That seems to be a very popular thing around all of us women over 40. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> biggest pet peeve. Okay, so I had to really, I really struggled with this question because initially I thought that I didn't have any pet peeves because I, you know, I feel like I'm a really tolerant person and, Mm -hmm. and if, you know, patient, your people have said patient, yes, good, good. And, uh, but then I realized, oh my goodness, I really can't stand it when people chew with their mouths open (laughs) and make lots of noises at the same time. Okay, I had forgotten about that, but I completely agree with you. <laughs> and, you know, re- and I, I remembered it um, I, that came to mind because I was in the library recently and it was in, in, the, in the quiet zone where, where the computers are and you're not supposed to bring any food or drinks in there and you're okay. not supposed to talk, right? Okay. And this woman on the other side of the desk, she was chomping away on something and and made all these smacking noises. And it's like quiet, no eating, all of the taboos, you know, at once. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, see, it needed to happen so that you could have your pet peeve today for this interview. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I agree with you on that one. I'm sure that everyone out there will agree with you on that for sure. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, favorite quote you're loving right now, which I'm from a writer. I'm like on, on just like pens and needles waiting, waiting to hear what this little gem of knowledge is. So hand it over. Okay. This is one I've mentioned before and I, I just still love it. It's called, um, well, it's from Samuel Beckett. He was a playwright and it's fail, fail again, fail better. Oh, I know everybody Fail, fail again, fail better. Yeah. Everybody, when I say that, especially budding writers, they just freak out. They think it's the most horrible thing that they've ever heard. (laughs) But it's so liberating because writing, any kind of thing, like mountain biking, it's all about falling off and getting back on and, you know, going the next mile. It's about, you know, you wouldn't be able to do those like 1,700 miles or whatever, or I don't know, whatever it was you said. (laughs) 1,700. Oh, I love you already. Okay. Okay. You wouldn't be able to do that. If yeah. if you didn't stumble at first, right? So, yeah. um, so I love that because it gives you permission to fail, and and it also ties in with your your three stage um, um, recipe for for success or for happiness or whatever you know action motivation and momentum. 
Yes. Because you have to take some kind of action. You know, you want to write a book. You want to write your memoir. You have to take some kind of action. It's like, okay, that didn't work. So, like, let's do this, right? right. It's, all, it's all about trial and error. It's the iterative process. You know, it's about, okay, so you learn what doesn't work. And then you can try other things, right? I mean, all the great inventions that, you know, the light bulb. I mean, you know, he, he tried, I think, a thousand times before he actually hit on the right way to make a light bulb, right? right. So, exactly. you know, if he didn't keep at it with all those failures behind him, right? So it's not really yes. failures. It's, it's uh, refining your process. And I, and I feel like that's uh, – people talk about that a lot with Michael Jordan. Yeah. They, they really yeah. specifically said – so they, because he was known as this point master, you know, he made all of these points at all of these games. But if you counted all the times that he missed, yeah, like he failed way more often than he actually won when he actually made the basket. And so yeah. you had to fail, fail again, fail better, make this yeah. basket. And, exactly. and then, and so you just had to keep doing it over and over and over again. And, and so, yeah, that's super motivating to me. <laughs> that's super motivating to me. Fail, fail again, fail better. Samuel Beckett. Samuel Beckett. Samuel Beckett. All right. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and thank you for putting yourself out there for this free writing challenge. I'm signing up again. I hope that everyone who's listening will sign up again. And that's a wrap. Okay, this interview was from last June, and that's what we're referring to when we talk about the writing challenge. Good news, though, I will be hosting another writing challenge this June. So if you want to be the first to get notification of the next free challenge, go to bit.ly forward slash June writing challenge, or you can find the link for it in the show notes of this episode on ownyourcreativity.podbean.com. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you will join me in the support of creativity by becoming a patron today at bit.ly forward slash creativity patron. When you become a patron, it means you know that you are not an island and that creativity is meant to be shared. Together, we can make a difference. And as part of the Own Your Creativity community, you are an integral part of the bigger picture. Until next time, own your creativity so that you think, feel, and do better in your personal and professional life.